0: to the soul sessions podcast deep dive into the causes and real issues underlying addiction codependency emotional eating weight concerns and the trance of unworthiness tune in weekly to befriend nourish and heal body feelings mind and soul and now your host soul-centered psychotherapist trauma expert and mind body eating coach Jody Gale Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Soul Sessions with Jodie Gale podcast. This episode is sponsored by my new Facebook group, Trauma Warriors. I would like to acknowledge traditional custodians of the land on which my office is based and across which we virtually meet and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening to this podcast. Today, my guest is Emma Cameron. And we are going to be talking about questions that you might have about psychotherapy or Psychotherapy 101. So, Emma is a UKCP registered integrative art psychotherapist, clinical supervisor, AEDP therapist, and artist who lives and works in the UK. Emma specializes in working online with sensitive, thoughtful women of all ages and sizes. She helps her clients find new, creative ways to make sense of their anxiety. And their other emotions, and to work on healing from painful past experiences. Emma is a strong believer in the power of creativity and the imagination as part of positive therapeutic change in online therapy as well as face to face. Welcome, Emma. Hi, Jodie. Hi. I'm so looking forward to talking to you today. We've known each other for some time now online. And we were just saying it's nice to finally talk in person. And I really value your take on all things psychotherapy. We're sort of blogging colleagues, really. I've been <laughs> blogging about therapy for some time and I can't wait to share your wisdom mm-hmm. with everyone today. Yeah,
1: I'm excited. Yes. So would you please share a bit about yourself and what brought you to this work? Yeah, so I'm in my mid to late fifties now. And this psychotherapy is a second career for me. I came to it, been doing it for about 10, 10 years or so. But my first rush with psychotherapy was when, when I was just in my twenties, I was really going through such a hard time and feeling very lost and it was really painful and it was suggested that I see a therapist. And I just remember that first, in fact, I wrote a blog post, I think, didn't I, about that first therapy experience I had. And it's really interesting to me now to look back because I can remember how I felt and what I thought and what I was expecting Mm. when I first went to therapy. And I remember going very anxious, but sort of feeling like this person's going to tell me what's wrong with me (laughs) (laughs) and they're going to tell me what to do that'll be great that was what I was expecting and I met the therapist and I was very relieved that she seemed very warm and kind and friendly so that was a huge relief because I was very anxious about that so I sat down and I was started to tell her you know what was bringing me to therapy and I was quite shocked because I burst into tears which Mm. I had had this sort of what therapists call affect phobia, sort of real fear of crying. So that had been, I hadn't, I'd scarcely cried for like, I don't know, much of my life. Mm. So I was very surprised <laughs> that these tears were coming. I was thinking, like, oh, hang on, what's this? Goodness, this is a bit alarming. But but I was really surprised by her reaction because she, she wasn't trying to stop me crying or shut me up. I was sort of expecting that she would. Mm. Um, And instead she just stayed in her seat and she stayed calm and attentive and kind and that was a real revelation (laughs) Mm, and as far as telling me what was wrong with me (laughs) (laughs) i mean i'm laughing you and i both laughing because we know that that's not how Mm -hmm. therapy works it's yeah it's more of a sort of discovery process isn't it and in a way it's about discovering what's right with us I suppose maybe and and how to help ourselves more and in that first session I remember actually being really surprised when the the, the, there was a point when she said it's time to wrap up our session for today (laughs) and I was thinking oh it hadn't occurred to me that there would be a a time limit or I don't Uh, know it's funny looking back you know those things that therapists all you know we assume that all our clients know (laughs) And I didn't know that there would be a time limit. And, you know, that was very naive, but in a way, why should I have known? Um, Exactly. And you know what? Even as you're saying that, I've never even thought of that before. Mm. Yeah. Isn't it? (laughs) That's one of the million reasons why it's so great to have had an experience, a lot of experiences as a client Mm. when you're a therapist, isn't it? Because you you sort of can tune into those things that can be there. Yeah. I must admit, my first
0: year of therapy, I was still being very naughty and taking a lot of amphetamines. So I don't actually remember a lot of my first year, I've got to say. I just am surprised that I got there, to be honest. Mm. So so I mentioned in your intro AEDP, and I always like to make Mm. sure that our listeners understand what it is that we're talking about. So would you Mm. just share... It says that you're an art psychotherapist. I think that's quite um, obvious. But the AEDP, Mm -hmm. can you just explain a little bit about what that is as a modality?
1: Yeah, AEDP stands for Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy. It was started more than 20 years ago by Dr. Diana Foscher in New York. And they have been, she and her colleagues have been developing it ever since. And I discovered it about three years ago and it fitted so well with the way I already was thinking about psychotherapy and the way I already had been, been trained, but it sort of added more. So that felt very, very exciting. And I suppose to, <laughs> to, to describe what is ADP, it's a kind of psychotherapy which is very relational. It's very much working within consciously within the relationship between the therapist and the client and can be quite explicit in, in, in you know, therapists will ask the client, you know, well, how does that land with you, what I just said? You know, they really want to, to know things like how, how the client is feeling towards them in that moment or mm. about what they've just said or things like that so it's very relational i find it a very kind friendly kind of approach mm-hmm. and also there's a structure within adp that helps the therapists to know kind of where they're going in a session yeah. without being controlling or having to go through a protocol or anything it's just a helpful way of kind of um getting a sense of well, how best to be helpful, really, for the the person. And we work with emotions. There's a clear focus on emotions and wanting to process emotions with the client, with the therapist in the session, in the strong belief that that on the other side of an emotion, if it's processed well, Mm. there's this wonderful sense of sort of clarity and a sense of, oh, I'm me. I know who I am. I know You know, not to say that lasts for the rest of your life constantly, but, but, you know, in that moment there is that sense and it can be so wonderful to do that and to, even if a client is bringing something that is a problem that in a way may have no solution, Mm. (laughs) maybe, but just being able to process the feelings in that moment with the therapist can lead to a sense of, yeah, it's okay, I kind of know, I feel a sense of knowing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot to it, but I think I'm sure that you've come across this a lot in your work as well. Absolutely.
0: So look, we are, I mean, we're already starting to talk about therapy and it's my biggest sort of passion in life, psychotherapy. (laughs) So I think this episode is going to be super useful to women who are maybe thinking about therapy for women in therapy and for women who have had therapy and for anyone else who's listening. Yeah. Sometimes we get some men listening too. If our listeners were a fly on the wall, what would they see inside a therapy session? At the moment,
1: for some of us, because we're recording this during the pandemic, some therapists are working online exclusively. Exactly. So there's that as well, but, but you know, and, and others are working in the room with people. They would see, it's usually two people sitting in a comfortable chair or on a mm-hmm. couch or even on cushions on the floor, possibly. Mm-hmm. And there's talking, sometimes the arts are being used as well, there's silences, which... I think as therapists, we're always very thoughtful about silences because silences can have so many different meanings and they can be experienced so many different ways. And sometimes silences can be so, oh, as a client, I I can speak for myself and and say, I've had some really profound experiences as a client of a silence with the therapist and, Mm -hmm. and how, you know, in certain moments that just feels like such a healing experience. And yet of course there are other times when the silence in therapy can feel painful awkward Mm -hmm. you know there's Mm -hmm. and and so the therapist is going to be trying to tune in to how the client is feeling in any given moment and and what's happening for the client Mm. and different kinds of therapies use different techniques Yeah. yeah yeah and i think i'm very aware of how some kinds of therapy like cbt cognitive behavioral therapy is a very different type of way of working from what you and I would call depth psychotherapy. Yeah, and it's interesting because there's a
0: lot of stuff around talk therapy at the moment and, look, my perception is that I think it came from van der Kolk in terms of moving into more somatic sort of therapy. I think when he's talking about talk therapy he's probably talking about solution focused CBT sort of style talk therapies where we call them top-down approaches but we all work very differently is what you're saying and there's so many different modalities and I think you're right I think our trainings probably have a lot of crossover yours and mine in terms of the very foundations and then it kind of branches off into so in terms of who comes to therapy, you know, I mean, it's interesting because what we see about therapy is often in TV shows and, and they're mm. usually terrible, those therapists, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, you sort of see there's a lot of stereotypes in terms of the therapy, the therapist and the type of people that go to therapy. But just just mm. so people know, what kind of people go to therapy?
1: All kinds of people, people of all ages, people who are I mean, often there's some sort of triggering event that happens that, yeah. that makes somebody feel like, oh, God, I really need some help here. I'm not sure what to do with these mm-hmm. feelings or mm-hmm. these behaviors that I don't understand. Sometimes there's a real crisis, but for many people, they're not necessarily at a crisis point, but they're just at a point where they're thinking, hmm, I'm getting a sense there's, there needs to be more to me than I'm mm-hmm. in touch with. Yeah. And... I want to get more in touch with what's going on so I can connect to my feelings better. I think people often have come to therapy because they're having some problems with their feelings. So whether that's that their feelings are huge and overwhelming, or whether it's that their feelings kind of seem a bit numb and cut off and all they're aware of is either depression or anxiety. Yeah. neither of which is is about sort of being able to be good with your feelings too many feelings or too few feelings can bring someone to therapy
0: i really love that answer because being in a lot of online therapist groups you often see people say that therapists diagnose and it's about and there's a lot of therapies that are very medical model aligned and in australia we've got the medicare system and you would typically go to the doctor and get a referral and it's you've typically been diagnosed with a psychiatric illness. You've got anxiety, depression, or whatever else that they've sort of mm. diagnosed you with. My experience of therapy is that we work with all those issues, but you also do get, for me, that might be the trigger, like you said, but underneath that, someone is always questioning who am I, separate from my past and separate from who I've been told I am and separate from this symptom actually and it feels to me a lot more creative in the way mm. that we view it I think and and some people come to therapy to be more creative or because they've got spiritual
1: concerns and so I really loved the way that you answered that that's so true of people coming to find more meaning as well as to feel less anxious less depressed whatever it is absolutely yeah. okay so how does therapy work from our perspective yeah jody that's a huge question how does therapy work the kind of therapy that you and i talk about which is more depth psychotherapy has an awareness of the importance of attachment and when i say attachment i'm talking about when we're born say Mm -hmm, (laughs) and we're mm -hmm. just babies we have all these emotions all these feelings And just as we do now, but we can manage them better now. But when we're babies, the feelings can feel very intense, full on. And we need caregivers to help us to manage our feelings, as well as to help us, you know, feed us and care for us and give us shelter and clothing and all the rest. We need help with our feelings. Now, what can happen is that the, the caregivers who may be very, very loving, or that they may not, but they may be, mm. might have themselves problems with tolerating mm. some of their own feelings. And I know this was the case in my growing up, that my, both my parents had a really powerful trauma history of their own. Mm. And It left them, because they were quite young when I was born, that it left them with difficulty in connecting to certain feelings of their own and difficulty Mm. in tolerating it in children and in babies and in their own child. So when the baby tunes into the fact that the parent isn't gonna tolerate a certain feeling, the baby adapts very cleverly, (laughs) adapts and sort of learns to hide that feeling or suppress it or make it something else. the feeling doesn't, probably that doesn't really, in a way that doesn't work because they're still left with a sort of unprocessed feeling, but mm-hmm. it does work in terms of keeping the caregiver reasonably attached. Now that can be called insecure attachment, but it's mm-hmm. it's a kind of attachment that, but it means that parts of ourselves have to be sort of hidden away or, or not dealt with. So in therapy, when we're older, many therapists would say we need to be within an attachment Relationship, a new one, in which the therapist is able to not just tolerate, but you know, to help us to actively help us with our feelings, our emotions, so that we get that sort of work that maybe should have been done ideally when we were little, but we get help with it when we're older. And it has to happen in a relationship. This problem with managing feelings is a problem as a baby when your brain is growing, your body is growing. And it's a problem within a relationship context so when in psychotherapy we try and use that use a relational context to help the person with their feelings to become more adept at tolerating processing managing and accepting and using productively our feelings Mm. if that makes any sense (laughs) yes it does
0: it does well said to a very (laughs) complex answer you know when you think about how long we journey through therapy It's that, and it's so much more complex than that. Yes. If only you could talk about every way that therapy worked, I think
1: we'd be here for a long time. Absolutely, yes. There's so many strands to how therapy works. There is. Yeah. And actually, as you're talking, what it reminds
0: me of is the mother and the baby. And I'm just thinking about, you know, when you first get a new client, and I was saying to one of my supervisees today, you're three hours old to each other. It's your third session. You've only known each other for three. It's like the mother and the baby at like three hours old. <laughs> you mm. know, you're learning about each other and learning to trust and learning to sort of feel into what's sort of happening. So that's why it's called developmental psychotherapy or developmental psychology because you're developing this little sense of self throughout this sort of journey, aren't we? So
1: yeah, and I love that you used the word trust there because that's so key that we need to be in a trusting relationship or trusting enough relationship to really be able to open up and bring up all the most difficult feelings. Hmm. And I Have keep we- talking about feelings and that's because I think we don't always realize, but our emotions are a, are a compass. They sort of, they give us information hmm. about which what to approach, what to avoid, what's, if we can tune into our core emotions well enough. And there's, yes, there's some complexity there, but so, emotions yeah. tell us important stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So how often do people go to therapy and how long does it take? <laughs> 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 Typically, someone will go to therapy once a week. And, you know, that's often thought to be a, a, a good frequency to get a relationship going and to keep it going. That's so typically it would be once a week. And for how long? Well, wow. <laughs> that's a great question. It, I mean, the answer is always it depends. And mm-hmm. you can get a lot done in therapy in, in six months. You can get even more done in two years. Um, <laughs> and some people will be in, in, in therapy for, for 10 or more years. You mm-hmm. know, it's, It really depends on lots of things. And it, it also depends on what does the person Want in what for, for themselves, you know, what are they hoping for help with, and what level of change are they wanting? And I think, too, you know, when you talk about 10 years, it just uh, if there's anyone
0: out there, oh, actually, we're going to talk about therapists later, so we'll, we'll, later. we'll come back to it. I forgot, I was getting ahead of myself. So, this follows on well from how often and for how long. Even amongst therapists, there's some concern about typically this, these are people who are not trained in psychotherapy, but they work with mm. counselors or clinical social workers, psychologists. And they really question the weekly therapy and long term therapy in terms of dependence and the client becoming dependent on the therapist. Uh, I guess what I'm going to say is is it normal to feel attached, dependent, even on our therapist? And I know that attached and dependent are two. Well, they are and they aren't two different things. I think about dependency needs as part of building attachment in early childhood. So it all kind of blends in together, doesn't it? So what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because in a Western society, we have this sort of horror of dependency, don't we? And, and, oh, we mustn't be dependent on anyone. And, Mm. (laughs) And really, humans evolved needing to be interdependent And we of course we depend on others and they depend on us and that's kind of how human society works and dependency is sometimes seen as such a terrible thing but really it can be a sign I think in therapy it can be a sign of healing A really positive part of the process it depends a lot on how the therapist views it and what training the therapist has had like you said and if a therapist isn't trained to work with dependency and hasn't had that experience themselves in Mm -hmm. their own therapy they can get very scared yeah and they can get confused about what dependency is and what Mm -hmm. it isn't and of course you know it can be an a negative sure. thing, depending on it's how worked it's worked with. with um, yeah, and, and uh, really. And I want to clarify there, Emma, that it can, it can
0: be seen as a negative thing and that is in no way reflective of the client's experience of that. In my opinion, it's always mm. down to how the therapist can work with it. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, 100%. It can be a very healing and powerful part of the work if it's handled well mm-hmm. and the therapist isn't frightened and the therapist knows how to manage it and understands about boundaries and mm-hmm. also can help the client learn how to be their own good parent Yeah, and that's such an important part of it. Absolutely. And I guess
0: what I want to say about that too is in-depth psychotherapy, it's not a, a goal of, of the therapy, but it's, it is a goal of the therapy because you do want, when I'm working with people, that dependency really is where a lot of that sort of transformation can take place. But the goal mm. is always for the client to become interdependent. It's not to encourage clients to stay forever to be, a, um, I've even seen written that, Uh, by propping up the therapist's financial whatever, something like that. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Like, Like... Oh, oh my goodness! I don't know where that comes from, but it's something that reminds me. Have you seen that I posted about it last week on Instagram? That Kristen Bell loves her therapist video clip. Have you seen? Oh that? yeah,
1: it's lovely. Oh
0: my <laughs> yeah. god! For anyone listening, I'm going to put it in the show notes, and it starts off like she's really dependent on her therapist, and she's sitting at the piano, and the therapist says, "Oh, and by the way, I'm I'm on holidays for the next two weeks," and she sort of breaks into this song about how to dependent she is on her therapist. And I could just watch that again and again and again. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and you said earlier about having our own experience of dependency. And the reason Mm -hmm. I love that clip so much is that's how I used to feel about my therapist. Yes, me too. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if I could have sat on her doorstep and stalked her, I would have. (laughs) In fact, I probably did. (laughs) But that's really important as a therapist to have had that experience and to have worked through that, isn't it? Because we know
1: what it feels like then for the client. Absolutely. It's so important that we as therapists are in touch with our own dependency needs Mm. and also our own horror of dependency as well. You know, we can have both. And that we've, yeah, as you say, worked through it and keep working through it. So actually, speaking of the Kristen Bell loves her
0: therapist, her therapist who was going on holidays, what advice do you have for how to cope when our therapist goes on holidays? Mm.
1: Yeah, and when you're in that phase of therapy where you feel very attached and very Mm. dependent, it can be a big, big deal Mm. to tolerate that break in therapy. Having said that, I mean, there are lots of clients who are absolutely fine and don't have any particular feelings and thoughts about it. But I think it is common to, to have feelings and thoughts about it you know, the break and, and to feel quite anxious or upset or whatever it is, to talk about it with your therapist can be really helpful. Mm. Hopefully your therapist is tuned in and understands that this can be a big deal. When we're in therapy, uh, for many of us, our therapist is a huge person in our life for quite a while. And I think therapists need to acknowledge that and to be able to hold that without feeling frightened about it. Mm. So yeah, I think talking with your therapist beforehand, saying, you know, I'm I'm concerned about how I'm going to feel. There's various things that you you know, therapists might come up with. I know for me, there was a stage in therapy where my therapist and I agreed that she would give me this special stone that I could put in my pocket, you know, and just have mm-hmm. that as a sort of mm-hmm. literally a touchstone, really, and just something to hold. And and that might seem childish, but in a way, it is because it, it, in a good way, because we're talking about the inner child, the child mm-hmm. parts that get help in therapy as well as the adult parts. And so it's sort of having an object like that for some of us can be really helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. So then there might be some other thing that the therapist and you can agree on and what would be helpful and also just to own that it's yeah it's okay if you feel sad and miss your therapist that's
0: okay Mm. and especially if you're in the UK because I remember when I was in the UK mine used to go away every bloody summer (laughs) yes (laughs) I think it's a very Freudian is it a Freudian thing that does that come from a psychoanalytic (laughs) psychodynamic I think it must because Mm. I know in North London there it's a it's a very you know, when I think about my training there compared to the training here, there is a lot more psychoanalytic sort of training over there. But... um yeah, mm. My supervisor goes away every summer. She's st- My supervisor's in the UK. She's still, you know, mm. I'm still sort of um, doing that. But I, I guess here we probably have that long break over the Christmas holidays, so.
1: Right. Many therapists do take longer breaks in the UK, certainly compared to the US, where people seem to take very short breaks. Oh, they're um, so stingy yeah. there, the holidays. I can't. <laughs> every time I read it,
0: I took a three-day break. I think, are you kidding me? It takes me three days to get there and land and, yeah. You know our US listeners in Australia and the UK we get four weeks paid holiday per year if we work for a company and I think most therapists would certainly model their holidays on at least four weeks a year I know that I take many more holidays
1: well yes the therapists I know I think they would take much more than that actually exactly I think
0: that's at least isn't it at least four Mm. weeks so you talked about talking to your therapist about Yeah, I think that's really important to... That it's okay to come and say, and look, I think the opposite is true too. Some people can get very into their defences and become very independent again in holidays too. And yeah, I, I remember doing a bit of a fuck you to my therapist when she went on yeah. holidays. I used to think, <laughs> oh fuck you, you don't care about me. You've gone off back to South Africa. Well, I'll just go and do blah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> secretly <laughs> thinking I really miss you. <laughs> yes, and to work through that with a therapist, I think you've raised a really um, good point there. That it's okay to do that
1: oh yeah I think it's so important to if we possibly can to be as honest as we can be about how we feel and that can be positive and negative you know and on the positive side an example would be if you you know the therapist might say something and then the client could say oh when you said that word whatever that word was mm. Mm. I noticed a strong feeling coming up in me mm. and then that can sort of be really helpful feedback because then the therapist can know oh, okay let's dive into that strong feeling, let's hear more about that and, mm. and then negative feedback is so important as well because therapists do get it wrong all the time you know oh, we yeah, miss absolutely. something we forget <laughs> You forget somebody's brother's name or you mix them up momentarily you think that it was their uncle that died or you forget a session or you know i mean hopefully these things don't happen too often but they bring up a lot of shame i think in therapists when when we, we do make a mistake and of course we make mistakes and clients can feel very hurt and angry understandably. And this isn't actually necessarily a bad thing. Obviously, we don't try to make mistakes. We try and avoid them. But mm. when we've made a mistake, it's very important for the client to let us know how something affected them. And it might just be a misunderstanding or it might be something more than that. But what we call that in therapy, we call this rupture and repair, if it yep. can be repaired. And yep. it's really interesting because rupture that is then repaired in relationships so a, a problem between the two of you that then gets talked about and worked through is not just sort of fixing a negative thing but it's actually a really positive thing it's actually building new sort of neurological capacity in in both people i think and growing something it can grow the connection between the two of you and it can grow the client's capacity to Express their feelings and to tolerate and to know that they can say something that can cause the other person to feel something negative, but that it, it can be okay. The therapist hopefully doesn't collapse or doesn't retaliate, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is and that's so valuable.
0: Yeah, because that's often what's happened in their early life, isn't it? Exactly. And I think this is really important because I know a lot of therapists listen to this podcast too. And I think you're right. It's And actually, if you do raise something and you feel that the therapist is defensive or whatever, what advice would you give to clients where that's, I mean, to me, that is always about the therapist. I mean, it is about the client, of course, but it is not about the client. It's mm. the therapist's job to... This is why, and we're going to come on to this later, why therapists really should have their own therapy, because I think a lot of clients can end up wounded by therapists who aren't trained well enough or who haven't Mm. done deep enough work themselves.
1: I so agree. Therapy can cause harm and sadly, therapists do need to really work on how to manage their own defensive reactions and, Mm. and all the rest of it, yeah
0: it's interesting you say that I was actually going to share an example um, about little things that can set things off, uh, like in terms of transference and whatever mm-hmm. a therapist. I remember leaving my therapist one day, one here in Sydney, and she had a pile of books outside her office that she was giving away. And the very book on the top of the pile was my favourite book. And I just felt oh. such a negative. <laughs> I just felt like you don't even like the same books that I like. <laughs> And I, I was so offended that she was giving this bloody book away. You know? That's really, a great example, yeah. Oh no. And then I obviously took it back the next session. But I took the book. I, even though I had it, I thought, well, I'm going to have two copies. <laughs> um, but, you know, just yeah. little things like that. I mean, I was so deeply, I, I just thought, you just don't get me. Like, otherwise, why would mm. you be
1: putting that book out? <laughs> Yeah, and there, and there's so much sort of room for rich, um, productive work around that, if, if you can work through something like that with a therapist. And, Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. So there was a post in a Facebook group the other day saying, what do you say when a client says, I love you? And I know that you've written a blog about this, so that's why I'm asking. <laughs> Does our therapist really care? Because I know I remember when I first went to therapy, I was just coming out of the London rave scene and a lot of my friends said, she's only nice to you because you pay her and because I was coming off drugs and I wasn't hanging out with them anymore. and People say all this kind of stuff all the time to people. And I got, you know, to wondering, like, does she care and
1: does she love us? Yes. And again, I can't speak for all therapists, but the therapist that I know and respect and our colleagues with and myself we do really care there's a really strong sense of care and sometimes in this one of the things I like about ADP because we'll we'll sometimes say can you take in my care right now in this moment you know and then sometimes the client can sometimes they can't sometimes they can a tiny bit but but to just be able to talk about that knowing that there's the strict boundaries are in place like it doesn't mean anyone's gonna want to have sex with anyone you know there's there's no sort of acting out or it doesn't mean that there's going to be any other demands or obligations but simply to just work with what's it like to take in someone's care Mm. (laughs) with them you know it's quite profound absolutely and even when it's not stated and and of course, in lots of sessions, we're not going to be talking about that, but it's going to be there in the back, running in the background, a, a sense of, of caring, I think, for our clients. And so many times I've heard therapists use the word love about mm. their client. You know, mm. they'll say, oh, this is someone that I, I, I really love, him, mm. her, them.
0: I know for myself, I always felt loved and accepted and cared for, and and when I say always, you know, there were times where I felt missed and angry and all those sort of things too. But the overarching, you know, my whole experience of that first, my first therapy experience, and um, and in several other therapies since then, just feeling, yeah, just that altruistic deep care you're right I think the word is care that deep care and love just how that in itself was was what was internalized and, and I could then start to care about myself in, in yeah in some way
1: yeah absolutely yeah that's lovely and I too have had an ex- you know well two two therapists and mm. both of whom I felt I felt loved by mm. not, not all the time but I felt it sometimes and mm. and and just actually being able to take that in is is quite challenging I think sometimes absolutely yeah so we already started to touch
0: on this but um, I, I was going to you know ask you do therapists have their own therapy and why I mean we have already talking yeah. about our own therapy so um, it's <laughs> obvious that you and I have had therapy
1: lots of it yeah yeah well the answer is lots of therapists don't have their own therapy and that worries me uh-huh I personally wouldn't go to a therapist who hadn't had a lot of therapy themselves. Mm-hmm. I really wouldn't. Now, therapists who haven't had therapy, I'm sure they can can do some good work, Of course they can. But I think there are some important reasons why I think therapists do need to have their own therapy, and as you say, a, a lot of it, not just mm-hmm. I mean some training organizations only ask they'll you know, ask for tw- need to have had twenty sessions or you know, and that's hardly going to touch the surface, I think really. if you're going to be a therapist, you really need to have worked on yourself, so one example of why I can give is just actually two weeks ago, I did a bit of teaching, and I was training some counseling students, and they were doing uh, what they call triads, which is where they have mm-hmm. little practice sessions with with one another, and somebody's the witness and so i was I was in on one of these triads, and these students were trainees, they were brilliant in many ways, they were you know lovely people. You know, I'm sure there'll be great therapists, but they're still learning. And it, there was one moment that I sort of was kind of laughing and I, I talked to them afterwards about it. I mean, I didn't laugh openly, but I, mm. I did the moment, although I did with them after. But in the little session, one trainee who was being the counsellor was hearing the client and said to the client, you know, how so how do you feel about what you've just been describing? And the client said, I feel angry sad and hurt and the counsellor said oh you feel sad and hurt tell me more about that sad feeling that hurt feeling (laughs) and why I was laughing with them afterwards was hang on your client said angry angry (laughs) as well as as sad and hurt they said angry yeah and you completely ignored it Mm -hmm. and the trainee hadn't even noticed she said oh Wow. I didn't hear her say that <laughs> it was the first <laughs> and, thing I thought of, <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny because in that session you know the client had actually said that word three times and I had made notes mm. of it because I was thinking when is this counselor going to notice that mm. this client is needing to work on her anger as well as her sadness mm. you know and then the trainee said yeah you know I think I know why I think it's because I need to work on my own comfort with anger and I I struggle with with anger mm. myself and mm. she was only in her second year of training so she had plenty of she, she'd had quite a bit of therapy she'd had already a year and a half of therapy and she was going to continue for another year and a half at least mm. thankfully so hopefully she will be working on her anger but it's obviously quite a challenge for her you know which is why she hasn't yet got to it mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was I thought that was a great example of why we need her and our own therapy because she just didn't hear the word angry it was so (laughs) and anger is one of the things that we
0: have so much trouble with I remember my and and just in terms of psychotherapy training I know in the UK a lot of private institutes it's highly experiential the training and so Mm. what that means for anyone listening is that we sit in groups and we're all facing inwards sometimes on cushions (laughs) and Mm -hmm. everything gets worked through in a process in the group it's not just an academic sort of training Mm. anger was always (laughs) at the (laughs) core of every single interaction that went how do I say this it was just full-on and I was very comfortable with anger in fact over-identified with my anger and so I just remember being the one that held the anger in the group for eight years my training took and then gradually by the last sort of half of the training there were people starting to pop all over the place. (laughs) <laughs> and i thought yeah. oh good i don't have to be the angry one anymore <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> freed you up yeah
0: lovely i think you're talking about blind spots there aren't you yeah, and, um, yeah. if the therapist hasn't and, and joe who came on talking about what is psychotherapy she I, I think she said it beautifully too she said people who have a psychotherap like proper psychotherapy training you're actually in therapy for eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years, just sort of because of your training, mm. really. And often yeah. a lot of us have had a few years before our training.
1: So, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And another example I've got of, of mm. why we need, why therapists should have their own therapies is, is about is about shame. So, yes. you know, yeah. for example, a client says to you, you forgot my mm. husband's name, how could, you know, and, and mm. is upset justifiably upset and, mm. and the therapist does you know and then, and then the client says you're a terrible therapist and or, or or maybe the client doesn't even need to say those words but the therapist gets caught up in shame and oh my god i'm a terrible therapist uh, uh, uh. Mm. Um, and what that does if we get caught up in shame is it shuts off our ability to think mm. and it shuts off our being ability to be present with the client mm. so straight away the therapy isn't working in that moment because the therapist can't be with the client so it's so important that the therapist has worked through their own Mm -hmm. shame triggers things that bring up a sense of shame in them and we all have them (laughs) we all have things that make us feel this sort of hot shame but Mm -hmm. we need to work through those in therapy so that when the client presses our shame button or crumple Mm. button as somebody once said put it that we don't get derailed and unable to think and be present but instead we're able to to feel it go oh okay I'm yes I'm feeling a bit of shame right now but Mm. and be present with the client and you know tell me more about what it's like for you that I'm I've got that thing wrong absolutely
0: um, yeah and knowing you know what's mine and what's yours and especially because I work with people with um you know quite severe eating disorders sometimes I remember back when I was an early therapist like maybe two or three years into like back in those days you'd you'd do your training you'd be in like we did a foundation year and then you one, you could take like one client year two you take two or three clients so I was probably in that year too
1: mm.
0: I remember um always getting to the tube station, I was in London at the time and buying tiny tots. Those little jelly tots or whatever they're called. And yeah. chewy 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 chewy, like eating these jelly tots on the on the tube on the way home. And it mm. wasn't until I think my supervisor said had asked me what happens after the session. I said, oh, she's my last client and I always buy jelly tots for the train on the way home. And there was something in that around the neediness and the feeding and the, it was almost like, um, you know, how babies suck on those rubber Things like that, and so without sort of having your own therapy and, and, and supervision, we're talking about here as well. I would never have kind of realised that I was even doing that and becoming aware of my own need to soothe myself after the mm. session and all that kind. So I'm kind of talking more about supervision. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: it, it all kind of sort of waves in, doesn't it? But it's, it's Well,
1: just... yes. And I think supervision is also very important for therapists and, and I know that in some countries, um, I believe in the States, many therapists don't continue to get supervision once they're fully trained and once they're licensed. <laughs> yes. Whereas here in the UK, I think one of the good things here is that it's expected that mm. therapists will have regular supervision. I mean, I have supervision week weekly, You're weekly sometimes, sometimes, aren't you? yeah and that's very normal so Mm -hmm. others have it twice you know twice a month or maybe once a month but Mm -hmm. you know regular supervision is really important i think to keep therapists on track and
0: yeah, yeah, it's not um, mandatory in the states, and look, it's not mandatory in the UK and Australia either. But because we're self psychotherapy is self-regulating, which means we can choose to join the UKCP or PACFA in Australia. People who are registered with, with those organisations, like I know for Australia, it's ten supervisions a year, and once you get to four hundred client hours, you then up it accordingly. But I think the requirement's a little bit higher in the UK, but. I just think you know both of these things therapy and supervision are so important, so mm. yeah and 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 if you're a client it's perfectly acceptable to ask when you're interviewing therapists, and I say interviewing because I think when people go for therapy that I remember being terrified of the, I had no idea that I was allowed to not like the therapist or think Mm. she was right or wrong for me and what I say to people on the first session is you know this is really an opportunity for you to see if I am the right therapist for you not the other way around
1: yeah yeah you know
0: and um to really to to really go and 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 you can ask have you had your own therapy because you're right I would not see a therapist who hadn't had their own therapy
1: yeah and and hopefully they will you know they it won't be a case of yes I have I've had 20 sessions <laughs> oh my hopefully God. hopefully yeah. they'll be, you know be able to, okay. to say yes I was in therapy for many years or for whatever well let's reframe
0: that how about you say um, have you had long-term therapy <laughs> let's
1: right ask That's that good. <laughs> <laughs> yes you're right yeah.
0: because one institute here in Sydney and I've talked about this before they have one they get told by the organization you need to go and have one. one oh you're going to die when you hear this you need to have one therapy session and you to write an essay about it <laughs> i'm speechless i know mm. i actually put a note on my i was so angry about it i put a note on my website saying i no longer um take people for the blah blah assignment um right. this is not this is not psychotherapy um yes so, therefore i'm not you know, participating in that because I just thought, you've got to be kidding. And and the fact that you're sitting there um, sort of taking notes in your head for the assignment makes it even worse. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> wow. Anyway, there we are being very judgmental. But anyway, <laughs> ethical maybe. Maybe I'll reframe that. E- ethical. Yes. Ethical. Yeah. So how do we know when to end therapy?
1: Hmm. That's such a good question. I've got a um, blog post on my website um, about, you know, I can't remember what it's called now, something about should I quit therapy. Mm -hmm. And because there's so many um, things that can be going on um, that that could make us want to end therapy sooner than perhaps we should. um, At the same time, of course, therapy is not supposed to be forever. And of course Mm -hmm. there's going to be an end point. It can be really hard to know when, when, when the end point should be. Um, I mean, I think whenever we're thinking of ending therapy, we, we need to be talking with our therapist about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, noticing what, what they say and noticing our own feelings. I think there's something about a gut feeling. If we can really tune into ourselves that sometimes sometimes that can be helpful we can get a sense of actually maybe i'm just trying to end therapy because we've just got to a difficult topic that i don't mm-hmm. want to <laughs> don't want to work on or yeah. it might be to do with some sort of projection that a client can have onto the therapist which means they start seeing the therapist as someone from their past that can happen as well or there might be a real factor that either the therapist isn't able to take the client any further which can happen yeah or the client isn't willing to go any further into you know working on themselves which also happens so there could be lots of factors Mm. yeah it's it it can can be be hard to know so tell me, what
0: are you doing now? Are you working? And I know in the UK, you can actually work with people outside of, we're not like America where you have to work within the state or whatever else. So you're obviously mm. working online at the moment because of COVID. And and what's the story? Are you seeing clients? Are you seeing
1: supervisees? You're doing a bit of both? Yeah, I'm doing both. Yes. At the moment, it's all online. Um, and a lot of it, even after the pandemic, a lot of it will remain online because people don't many of my clients and supervisees don't live near me anyway uh-huh. um and yes some of them are um outside of the uk around the world and mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. yeah so and as you say, i i don't work with people in north america because of they have you know certain licensing mm. rules but most of the rest of the world i can work with people from there
0: yeah and so where do people find you emma
1: they can go to my website, which is emmacameron.com. So quite simple, just www.emmacameron.com. Great. And um, I'll be
0: honest with everyone, all the questions that I um, found today for Emma had come from all of her wonderful blogs on her website. So um, each one of those questions is, is in a separate blog, I think. So I will obviously <laughs> link to that in the show notes and I just love your blogs they're just so informative and I think for I think therapists could learn a lot by reading your website too which um, I noticed on Twitter you've got quite a following of therapists and stuff and it's not surprising because you're um, you know you're authentic and deep and you know, you've mm. obviously done your own
1: work. So. Yeah. Thanks, Jody. Well, I mean, and you were instrumental in, in inspiring me to start blogging in the first place back <laughs> yeah, in the day, because you were doing it first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've yeah. written
0: a lot of things together, haven't we? So Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much for coming. My and, pleasure. Yeah. I'll see you online. See you then. Okay. Bye-bye. For the show notes, go to the forward slash soul sessions 42 psychotherapy 101 thanks for listening bye for now thank you for listening to the soul sessions podcast loved this episode head over to itunes to subscribe rate and leave a review it's very much appreciated thank you to learn more about how you can befriend your body feelings mind and soul get jody's free 65 page ebook at the soul center dot online until next time